Chapter 13 Shouldering the staff jauntily, Gom moved due east, going by the sun, then south, walking, climbing, retracing his steps to Deepingdale and Braggart on the Edge. From there, he'd pass by Twisting Valley, down Middledale, and into Long Valley, following the original route into the lakelands that Carrick had given him. He travelled fast, much faster than he had coming when he'd had to match Zamul's pace. And he travelled with great zest. For hadn't he gotten back the rune and, with it, defeated Katak? And couldn't he afford to face Haga at last? It felt so good going without fear. He looked up at the blue sky light-heartedly. With Katak shut in his deep grotto, there'd be no more Skullbird. And with Zamul stranded somewhere across Great Krug, the road was clear. He strode along, wind blowing briskly at his back, glad, it said, to see Gom on the move again. But though Gom travelled quickly and with great energy, and without fear of danger from Katak, something was changed. He was lonely. Solitary as he'd been for much of his life, Gom's fits of loneliness had never lasted for long, until now. He missed his father so much, the great warmth, the gentle strength. Hilsa, too, he missed, and Stock, and Horton Mudge. Even Ganesh. Such wonderful friends he'd made. Good, loving, warm bodies. Only to leave them to travel on alone with but wind for company. Would it always be thus? If he had to keep moving, perhaps he should look for a fellow traveller. Someone to talk with, to sing with, to share tales with at the end of the day, like Carrick. Now there was one whose company he'd gladly enjoy. Keeping up his pace, Gom climbed down from the lofty ranges until he reached their southern end. Things had certainly grown in his absence. He'd lost count of time, but judging from the lushness all about him, he guessed he must have been gone at least twenty days.
The fool's button grew in greater abundance now beside the ford that he and Zamul had first taken on the way north, so that Gom was able to pick a good, thick, fresh clump of roots and leaves to tie to his pack. Several days' supply. Farther south he added wild parsley, lettuce, and asparagus, eking out comfortably the remains of his waybread and sunflower seeds. Another few days, and he was striding through the gentle hill country where he'd left Acorn, using the map now to pick out the way to Deepingdale and Braggett on the edge. One late afternoon, about ten days after he'd left Ganache, Gom finally hit the Braggett Trail. He hurried along, hoping to reach the village by nightfall and perhaps find a snug haystack to lie in and maybe hear the sound of a friendly human voice. Or perhaps, he thought, almost running now, he'd meet another hort, a kindly farmer ready to trade a cup of milk and a loaf of bread and some cheese for a neat stack of fresh chopped firewood. The sun was just going down when, cresting a rise, he saw below him the eastern end of the gentle green dale and braggot. Smoke drifted up from whitewashed chimneys, along with the mixed and tantalizing smells of a village full of suppers. Braggot was bigger than Greenvale. The houses, clustered in that sheltered dip, looked bigger, too, squat, solid shapes, smudged by soft haze. By the time Gorm neared the village, the sun was down, and the skies were darkening fast. He gazed at the twilit houses hungrily, picturing hospitable folk within, gathered around tables loaded with good hot food. But he hesitated. Dare he knock on doors at this hour? Come on, he told himself. You braved Katak and Zamul and Ganache as well before you found him to be friend. Surely you're not afraid of a homely face or two? Gom hitched up his pack and moved along. He paused by the very first dwelling, a croft on the village outskirts. He pictured the farmer's wife, a second mudge, with amiable face and motherly inclinations, her larder stocked with tasty things for a small, tired wayfarer with a good axe arm. He pushed open the gate and stepped resolutely into the yard. A huge black shape bounded up. Who are you? What do you want? it snarled, circling him. Gum started back in alarm. He'd never seen the like. A hound as big as a small calf. Of exceedingly thin and hungry body. All set to take his leg off. I'm a traveller, he yupped hastily, looking for a night's lodging. The hound's mouth dropped open.
Why, it said, you sound just like a dog, though you don't look like one. It wagged its tail uncertainly. A traveller, you say? The dog sniffed around him. Mmm, you have some good, strange smells about you. You've come far. Gom relaxed a little. Aye, I have. Do you think your master would consider a night's bed and lodging for, say, a day's work around the place? My master! The hound snorted scornfully. My master beats me every morning to keep me in hand, then at night in case I forgot, and then some more whenever he finds the excuse, and he feeds me scarcely anything at all. So you'll get short shrift from him. Many's the time I've resolved to run away, but where to? Listen, you must go before he hears you. Go. Gom was crestfallen. Is there another house you could recommend then? He asked at the gate. The hound considered. Normally I'd name two or three places right off, but not at present. In fact, right now any stranger showing his face in this place without reason or purse is likely to be whipped out of sight. I tell you, You'd best put as many miles between you and this place while you can. But why? Gum asked. What has made the folk so angry with strangers? The cottage door opened suddenly, and a head poked out. Shadow! Shadow! Cut your racket unless you want a thrashing! Oh dear, Shadow whimpered softly. It's my master. Wait here. The hound ran up to the front door, and wagging his tail, stood on his hind legs and licked the farmer's hands. Area, back off! The farmer kicked him off the porch. I told you afore, them tricks'll not get you indoors. You keep watch, do you hear, boy? Or I'll come out there and fix you. The farmer went back in and slammed the door. See what I mean? Shadow came back to the gate, his tail between his legs. Oh, how I hate that man! Tell you what, he said. If you like, you can sleep in his barn. I'll wake you at dawn before he comes out, and you can be safely on your way. That's very good of you, Gom said, and followed the hound around to the back of the house. The barn was clean and dry. With a pile of empty sacks in one corner. Gom took off his pack and set the staff aside. Then, too tired to eat, he lay down on the sacks and closed his eyes. A moment later, Shadow's nose lightly touched his cheek. Good night, sleep well, the hound said. And trotted away. Barely two minutes later, it seemed, Shadow nudged him awake again. Quick! the hound urged him. It's late. I've had the hardest time rousing you. The master'll be out any minute. Scarcely before Gom could stand up and blink, 
the dog hustled him out into the early morning sunshine. Too late, warned Shadow. He's coming. Listen. Behind the barn is the orchard. Behind the orchard is a wall. Beyond that is a way out of town. Be quick and be quiet if you value your skin. Thank you for your kindness, Gom said. But the hound was already scurrying back toward the farmyard. Gom found the orchard wall, and moments later he was standing, breathless, in a narrow lane. Westward, the lane led away from the village, toward Twisting Valley. Eastward, it led past small, neat cottages onto the village green. Turning westward, Gom hadn't gone far up the lane when he heard a commotion behind him. Folk were flocking onto the green from all directions to gather under a huge old oak standing in its centre. Intrigued, Gom stopped and pressed himself into the wall to watch and see what brought out all those folk so early in the morning. He couldn't be sure, but he sensed this was no festive occasion. The murmuring that wind blew his way sounded angry. Come, come, Gobblechuck, wind whipped his hair. You'd best be moving. There's bad work afoot back there. What bad work? Gom asked. Heeding Wind's warning, Gom stepped out to hurry up the lane and dodged back again. He should have curbed his curiosity and gone while he could. Too late now. There was no way he could go up that road without being seen. Don't say I didn't tell you. Wind cried and whirled away. All at once there came a burst of angry shouting. Peeping out, Gom saw a tall, foxy youth with lank, pale hair running toward him as though his life depended on it. A crowd followed at his heels, pelting him with rocks and bottles making a violent din. A bottle striking him on the shoulder, the youth fell, picked himself up, and ran on. But he'd lost his lead. Any minute now, the foremost villager, a great hefty man who looked as if he might be the blacksmith, would reach him. Sure enough, the man drew level with the youth, seized his shoulder, and began to drag him back up the lane. Think to get away, do you? the man snarled. The folk followed after, shouting angrily. Gom was so shocked that he stepped from his hiding place and followed them all the way back to the village green. In the grass lay a long leather whip.
While the blacksmith held the youth, another took up the whip and cracked it. Floggin' we said, and floggin' it be, so let's get on with it. We've still a day's work to do after, the whipman said. Flogging? Gom had never heard that actual word before, but it was easy enough to guess its meaning. He eyed the whip in horror. The man raised the whip and prepared to bring it down across the youth's shoulders. Hey! Gom shouted before he could help himself. Stop that! The whip halted in mid-air as everyone turned to stare at Gom. Seizing his chance, the youth pulled away from his captor and dashed through the crowd, brushing past Gom so closely that in his haste he knocked Gom over. Here! Climbing to his feet, Gom started after the youth, but many hands seized him and dragged him back. Who are you? What are you doing here? Voices clamoured on every hand. I'm... Gom struggled wildly. I'm going west, he said. There came a shout of laughter. I'll say, someone said. The hubbub broke out again. What shall we do? Matt's gone thanks to him. Who's going to pay? Why him, of course. We'll flog this nosy busybody instead. Yes. The crowd took up a general call. Flog him instead! Gom found himself resisting, being dragged over to the oak tree. He couldn't believe it. If he didn't do something quickly, they'd carry out their threat. Wait! Gom shrugged his captor off. What has this mat done to deserve such dreadful treatment? Done? The blacksmith's face darkened. What hasn't he done? He's wrecked this old village, that's what. Fooled us with his bragging and his fine promises. Cheated us out of our hard-earned money. In spite of his predicament, Gom had to ask. How do you mean? A sad-faced man spoke up. Last harvest... He burned down all our hayfields, trying to prevent rain. And at sowing time, he flooded our farmhouse, a woman called out, trying to bring it on. An old gaffer piped up. He made me a special walking stick, as he claimed would cure me lumbago. And no sooner put me weight on it, than it folded and put me a bed for this past six months. Don't forget village hall, said a tall, thin woman, that Matt promised to clear of Riddleybug. He did it all right, the blacksmith nodded grimly. Oh, there's no more bugs, I'll grant you that. <laughs> but there's no more all, neither, for his ochus pocus collapsed it. Worst of all, said another, he's gone and took our milk. Your milk? Gone was truly confused now. The young man called Matt 
hadn't been carrying anything when he ran from the village, except himself. It's like this, a wife said. Farmer Marmot's cows have gone dry. Matt gave him a potion to bring the milk on again. One lick of that stuff, and they jumped clear over the gate and took off we don't know where. The crowd began to mutter once more. So now we've no milk, or whey, or cheese, or cream, and that's tantamount to stealing. And the penalty for stealing is the whip. Hey, 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 said Gom, thinking fast. Aren't you all getting rather excited? Look, suppose the potion hasn't worked, and you have no way of knowing. In that case, there's still no milk, so it can't have been stolen. Now, suppose the potion has worked, and the cows are making milk again. In that case, Matt has done what you wanted, and far from stealing your milk supply, he's restored it, and it's the cows who've run off with it. But since the milk is really theirs in the first place, there's been no theft at all. Therefore, I'd say your accusations are unfounded. Understandable, but enough. The blacksmith seized Gom and shook him until his teeth rattled. Time's a-wasting. Let's get on. Muttering, the crowd closed in, forming a tight circle about him. Gom looked around. Far from talking them out of their anger, he'd only incensed them more. The whipman stepped forward. Gom turned to face him, defiantly. As he did so, he caught sight of Shadow at the edge of the crowd with his master. The blacksmith roughly turned Gom's back to the whip, and Gom, his face set defiantly, clenched his teeth and braced himself for the blow. Without warning, a huge black mass sprang into the circle, snarling and leaping about, snapping at everyone's feet. Shadow! There was instant pandemonium, the crowd breaking up and running off in all directions, from a hound apparently gone mad. Go, go, quick, Shadow urged Gom. No, while you can. Gom set off up the lane. What about you? he called back. Shadow was racing in crazy circles, emptying the last remnants off the green. I'll manage, the dog barked. Goodbye and good luck. They'll kill you. Come on, come with me, Gom shouted. The dog stopped in his tracks. Then suddenly, he raced up the lane to join Gom. Together they ran, to the end of the lane and onto the trail to Deepingdale. A few folks started after them, but Gom and Shadow had too great a lead. They sprinted along until they were out of breath, and still kept going until they were heading down into Twisting Valley.
only when they were safely into that place did they stop to rest, off the trail away amid tall grasses. Shadow flopped down on his belly, his bony ribs heaving, his tongue lolling out. Gom lay back, listening to his own breath gradually slowing. Where was the foxy youth? he wondered. Matt, someone had called him. Gom hadn't seen sign of the lad. And he and Shadow had run fast enough, surely, to catch up with him. Maybe he'd kept clear of the trail for fear of being caught again. What a rascal he was, Gom thought. But he hadn't looked evil or bad. Not exactly. As for Matt's supposed misdeeds, Gom leaned up on one elbow and plucked a blade of sweet grass. He could sympathize with the villagers for being duped once, or twice maybe, but more than that. It served them right for letting the same fellow fool them over and over. Half smiling, Gom began to hum an old tune under his breath. Oh, woe is me, for I am run out of town, for letting my tongue run free. He smiled to think of what mischief the wily Matt would have made among the gullible clack folk before they ran him out, as no doubt they would have, in the end. Gom's smile faded. Pity they'd missed each other, he thought wistfully. Now there would have been a fine companion, obviously much travelled, with a fund of great stories to tell, and just as much misunderstood by normal folk, it seemed, as Gom himself. But the lad couldn't be blamed for running off like that from those dreadful people. Shadow began to whine. I'm afraid, the great dog said. I have no master. What shall become of me? Gom reached out a hand and patted him. I don't know, he said, but anything that happens to you from now on will be better than what went on back there. He sat up. I haven't thanked you properly yet for what you did, he declared solemnly. You are a very brave dog. Oh, no, I'm not. Shadow sat up too, panting in the heat. Believe me, I'm not. I just don't know what came over me. You're altogether too modest, Gom insisted. Listen. You sheltered me in your master's barn, risking a beating for letting a stranger onto the property. Then you did your mad dog act to save me. You could have been killed for that. You're a kind, brave creature, and I'm proud to have you for a friend. Really? Shadow wagged his tail. Yes, indeed. You know, 
I was getting lonely traveling alone. It's so good to have company. They moved along at a steady pace until, tiring at last, Gom stopped by a little waterhole for elevenses. Unable to break the waybread, Gom gave Shadow one of his two remaining cakes to gnaw, then lay back under a clump of bushes, sheltering from the noonday heat. Gnats played around his head, and somewhere close by, a peeper sang a sleepy song. A bright blue butterfly fluttered past, lighted on a stand of creamy wild snapdragons. Gom wiped his forehead on his sleeve, conscious of his breath laboring in the humid heat. The air was dense and heavy down in the valleys, he thought. Fanning his face with a broad dock leaf, he wondered how folk managed to stand it year after year. Shadow, his jaws dripping from the water hole, flopped down beside him. Reason told Gom that they should stay there while the sun passed overhead, but then he also felt. That that was wasting time. Ten minutes, Gom said. Then we must move on. It was an effort, and not only because of the heat. Twisting Valley was very well named, at least the twisting bit. Nowhere could one see more than a few hundred yards ahead. But. Valley. It was more like a gully. Gom soon found. The sides were steep, wild, and overgrown with hawthorn and honeysuckle, blocking the trail altogether in places. Gom whistled under his breath as he went along in the afternoon sunshine, happy in Shadow's company. Even though the hound would chase every rabbit and squirrel that he saw over Gom's objection, Shadow, however, wasn't in the best of spirits. I miss having a master," he said. "Someone to call me to heel, to tell me to go and to come. It doesn't feel right, running around loose like this." Gom felt a little hurt. Oh, but I asked you not to go chasing my friends, and you just didn't take any notice. He thought, though not wanting to argue, he didn't say that out loud. You'll get used to it, he remarked instead. Soon you'll realize how to use your freedom, how lucky you are now not to have to come and go any more at another's pleasure. You told me to follow you," the dog said, sounding a little sulky. "You should be my master now." Me? Gum looked at the dog in surprise. "Oh no, I don't want to be anybody's master. You saved my skin, and for that, you are my friend and equal."
Master indeed, Gum thought, much disturbed at the idea. Yet, seeing how miserable Shadow was with his newfound freedom, Gom made a real effort to humor him until the dog got used to it. Time and again, Gom recalled Shadow sternly from his forays into quail and rabbit territory on either side of the trail, but without success. Evidently recognizing Gom's half-heartedness, the hound didn't even pretend to obey. Late in the afternoon, they stopped again to rest their legs. According to the map, the next village was three days away, in the lush green lands of Middlevale. Gom rummaged in his pack for something to give shadow. There wasn't much left, certainly for a dog. Don't worry. Shadow assured him, nosing his hand, "I'll forage." He ran off into the tangled scrub, ignoring Gom's calls to come back. Gom watched him go unhappily, not liking to think what Shadow would forage on. With a sigh, he lay back, locked his hands behind his head. And stared up at the clear afternoon sky. According to Carrick's map, it would take ten or so more days to reach the lakes. And then he'd maybe find some of those inns Carrick had told him about, and offer his services cutting wood, and doing other odd jobs about the place. And all the while he listened, and asked in ever so roundabout a way, where a body might find one such as Hager. As he lay there, daydreaming in the afternoon heat, he imagined he saw a black speck circling, way up high. He smiled, remembering Tark the Raven. The speck came lower and lower, growing bigger all the while. Gom's smile froze. That bird was huge, with wings bigger than any raven's. It couldn't be, Gom told himself, slowly sitting up. But even as he tried to get to his feet, it came at him—the skull bird. Gom rolled under a bush and lay, his blood racing. Katak, come for him again? How? The bird skimmed past with a whirr of wings, then wheeled about to hover, looking down. Fool! You think to escape Katak's will? Think again, little man. Gom's middle went to jelly. Not the shape changer. 
but Zamul. Ganesh had personally escorted Zamul to the far side of the sound. He'll not get out of there in a month of Sundays, the Kundalara had assured Gom. What had gone wrong? I told you my master was going to give me magic of a different kind, Zamul cried. Well, he's given me the changing power, and here I am, in my master's own favorite shape, to get him back your rune. Banking sharply over the bush, Zamul thrust out his thick, strong legs, and raking his talons across Gom's back, hauled him by his shirt from his shelter. Dazed, Gom reached to cover the rune, but Samul clawed his hand away and seized the stone. A huge black shape sprang from the bushes and hurled itself at the hovering bird. Shadow! Released from Zamul's talons, Gom clutched the stone to him and crawled back to shelter. His back was afire, and his hand streamed blood. Dog and bird were closely interlocked, a screaming, snarling mass of hair and blood and feather. Shadow's mouth closed on the bird's wing, but the bird, clawing at the dog's hindquarters, forced him to let it go. Shadow tried for the bird's throat, only it was too quick. With a loud screech, it raked Shadow's side with its talons, laying the flesh open. Shadow went down, struggled up, fell a second time to lie still. Shadow! cried Gom, starting out from under the bush. The dog is dead, so now I'll have the rune, little man! Exulting, Zamul fell upon him. What? a new voice cried. What in Alm's name is going on? Gom caught a glimpse of a flashing knife blade and a shock of black curls, dark against the sun's rays. A moment later, there came a scream of human pain, and looking up, Gom saw Zamul kneeling on the grass, face contorted, blood running from a gashed shoulder over his silver bracelet to splash his bright green breeches. The next instant, the image of the conjurer vanished, and an injured skullbird rose from the ground to flap clumsily away. Had he imagined it? It had all happened so quickly. The ground heaved and tilted, came up to meet him with a roar. Through the noise, there came another sound. A human voice. Good gracious! It's Master Gom! Carrick.